Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Here's my favorite rant for the day excerpted from our podcast, which you can find over at tomhartman.com. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you live from Portland, Oregon. And I hope you had a wonderful Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever your holiday may be. Um, I I hope it was was a fine time. We had a a wonderful time. Uh, 19 family members over on Christmas. It's just amazing. Anyhow, today I want to, uh, at least in the starting point here, I want to get into some of the issues that we understand and misunderstand about taxes, money, wealth, and how the very, very morbidly rich in the United States have seized not only virtual, virtually complete economic power in this country, but also virtually complete economic power. They're damn close. And they're doing absolutely everything they can to nail it down so that they, they never lose it. And uh, all over the country, you've got, you know, individual Democrats running for office to pry those nailed down boards back up. But anyhow, some, some, some concepts. The first is a concept of money. And uh, this is actually a brilliant piece. Conrad Shaw, he's a, a writer, an actor, filmmaker, lapsed engineer is how he describes himself. Uh, wrote this piece for medium.com titled Money Isn't Money. And he makes two important points that I just want to stick in your head here. Uh, the first is, he says, if you, give, if you give a starving man $5, you've given him his next meal, right? He, he can buy a sandwich. But if you give a wealthy man $5, you haven't given him a sandwich. He doesn't need a sandwich. What you've given him is $5. So, Sometimes money actually represents, you know, our core needs, and sometimes money represents money. It's just money. It's just a medium of exchange. And then then building on that, he takes the example of Mark and Mary. Uh, Mark and Mary live in the same neighborhood in the same town, so all the economic and socioeconomic and whatnot factors are the, you know, cost of living and everything. It's all the same. And Mark makes $40,000 a year. Mary makes $20,000 a year. And in this particular neighborhood, when you add up the cost of rent and food and transportation and, you know, basic stuff, electricity, septic, water, all the, you know, just the the basic stuff that you have to have to live, it costs $19,000 a year to live in this neighborhood. Mary's making 20. So Mary has $1,000 in disposable income at the end of the year or throughout the year. Mark, on the other hand, who's making 40,000, Mary's making 20,000. 
Now, most people would say Mark makes twice as much as Mary, right? Because he makes 40,000, she makes 20. He's actually making 21 times as much as Mary. Because both of them have to spend $19,000 to live in the neighborhood. After that money is spent, and that's not really money, that is cost of living, right? After the, after the basic core costs are covered, Mary has $1,000 left over. Mark has $21,000 left over. So there's a huge difference between the two. And, and as, as uh, Conrad Shaw writes, this is why increasing wealth and in income inequality are so insidious, and it's why the wealthy should pay a larger share of taxes. So you've got that. Put that in your head. Secondly, Eve Smith wrote a brilliant piece over the last week over at NakedCapitalism.com. And it starts out by recapping the current most widely held theory that keeps constantly being regurgitated on the pages of the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal and Financial Times and, and you know, talking to financial advisors or friends or whatever, that why is it since 1980, the economy has just been kind of, eh, why is it that wages never recovered after the Reagan presidency? Why is it that, that are working people's wages? Why is it that the rich the top one-tenth of one percent or one-hundredth of one percent have seen their income go up over 600 times, 600 percent. But the average working person has actually seen their wages go down since the Reagan presidency. Why is that? The main theory that's put forward right now is that we stimulate the economy, that the economy is soft because of lack of cash whether it's lack of available credit or whether it's lack of money for investment. It's a, it's a theory that's devoted to the top end of the economic pyramid, right? That there's a, and, and the story goes something like this. Uh, because, and, and in fact, actually, I can, I can quote from, from Eve Smith here. Um, the secular stagnation is caused by a heavy overdose of savings Right? People are saving their money relative to investment, which is caused by higher retirement savings due to a declining population growth at an aging labor force and an inflow of precautionary Asian savings. In other words, the theory that everybody's operating under is that billions and billions of dollars of money are coming from China and you know, they're buying up real estate, driving up housing prices, but they're not helping anybody's wages. Um, that uh, baby boomers are aging out and they're just, they're just saving their money um, that wealthy people are saving their money and all that, all the, all those savings are slowing down the economy and the fed needs to speed it up by making interest, interest rates even lower. Well, we know that that's not true because the fed reduced interest rates to zero functionally. Some countries in Switzerland, they actually made them negative. You actually had to pay banks to take your money and they would loan you money for free functionally didn't make any difference. And as Eve Smith points out in his piece over at Naked Capitalism type, titled Debunking Mainstream Economists on Secular Stagnation and the Loanable Fa Funds Fallacy, Eve Smith points out that what really drives economies, and we've known this since Adam Smith, but somehow we've forgotten this since Reagan, since we got indoctrinated with this mindless, you know, trickle-down theory, but what drives economies is something called aggregate demand which is wages in people's pockets. In the pockets of people, remember my Mark and Mary example? 
in the wage, the pocket, wages in the pockets of people who spend virtually all their money. So if we really want to stimulate the economy, what we need to do is do the things that cause wages to go up, which means empower unions. Well, what's Donald Trump done? <laughs> One of the first things Donald Trump done is take a meat ax to unions. This from uh, Dave Jamison in the Huffington Post. In less than a year, Trump has stripped back workers' ability to unionize. His revamped labor board issued a slew of new policies at the end of 2017 that will make collective bargaining harder. So Trump is doing the things that, and the Republicans are doing the things that will suppress wages, which isn't going to help the economy. At the same time that they're telling us that, you know, this was the Jobs Act, right? The tax cut uh, was actually the Jobs Act. At the same time, they're telling us that by giving rich people more money, well, by giving all of us more money, they're saying that it's going to, you know, wonderfully stimulate the economy. Well, some money will be going, you know, some of these tax cuts, many of these tax cuts will be going to people in the middle, but they're not going to be very large and probably won't have that much impact on the economy. And they're not permanent. They're only there for a few years and then they go away. The tax cuts for rich people are permanent. The tax cuts for corporations are permanent. The tax cuts for, for banksters are permanent, but the tax cuts for average working people, no, they go away after just a few years. So what the, what, what the Trumpistas are doing is the exact opposite of what should be done. The next thing I want to share with you in, uh, after, this, after this break that's coming up, and then, and then you know, we'll pick up your phone calls. How's the year been for you? It is, uh, you know, it's, it's December 27th here. It's, uh, we're coming on, up on the end of the year. And what are your thoughts about the, the next year? I'll share some of mine as we go along. But then I want to get into a discussion of why it is that, and there's an actual reason for this. And it's been a while since I've done this rant. So those of you who have heard, you know, have been listening to the program for years and years, you'll recognize that those of you who haven't, it will be new. Why is it that when Reagan cut taxes, wages went down? This is the Tom Hartman Program. Why is it that when George Bush cut taxes, wages went down? Why is it that when Clinton raised taxes, wages went up? I'll explain all that to Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. Okay, I, I wanted to share with you the different ways that taxes impact rich people versus working people. I, I gave you that Mark and Mary example from, from uh, who was it, to Conrad Shaw, you know, where Mark makes 20, or Mary makes 20,000, Mark makes 40,000, costs $19,000 to live in the community. Mary has $1,000 left over. Uh, or disposable income throughout the year. Mark has $21,000 in disposable income throughout the year. So he doesn't actually make twice as much as Mary. He makes 21 times as much as Mary in terms of disposable income, which is what we need to think about. So with that in your head, let's now talk about taxes. If you were a billionaire and your tax rate was 40% and you make a million dollars a year, let's say, just to use even numbers. You make a million dollars a year, you pay a 40% tax rate, so your take-home pay is $600,000 a year. Odds are you're not living on that much. Maybe you do. I don't know. But, you know, 600 grand a year. 
So what happens if you get a tax cut? If you're that that multimillionaire, that 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 guy who's that, or guy or, or woman who's making a million dollars a year, what happens when you get a tax cut? What happens when the tax rate goes from forty percent down to twenty percent? Your after-tax income, your before-tax income was a million dollars. You took home six hundred thousand because you paid four hundred thousand in taxes. Now you're only paying two hundred thousand dollars in taxes, so your after-tax income is eight hundred thousand. So you got a two hundred thousand dollar a year raise. And like Mark, you know, you've got, you've got a lot more disposable income. But that's all. It doesn't affect your standard of living. It doesn't affect your quality of life. It doesn't affect pretty much anything because it's just money. Now, to go back to Conrad's example of, you know, when money's not money, when money is survival. Let's say that you're that multimillionaire guy who owns the business and I'm your employee. And I, and you know, because I've told you, because you can look, because, you know, this is how it works. And, and you know that I'm willing to work for $50,000 a year, let's say, after taxes. If that's what I need to live on. Let's say we live in a, you know, kind of expensive, well, it's not even all, all that expensive. Let's say $50,000 a year, just to, to make it even. So, actually, that, that wouldn't be, let's say we've, we've got that same 40% tax bracket. So let's say I need 40,000, I need, I, let's say I need $60,000 a year to live on. Okay, so I'm, I'm so you're, you're my employer, you're paying me $100,000 a year, I pay 40% in income taxes, I have $60,000 a year left over to live on. So what happens when my taxes go down? My $100,000 a year salary which is $60,000 a year in take-home pay, if, if the tax went from 40% to 20%, now becomes $80,000 a year in take-home pay. Okay, so I'm making an extra $20,000 a year because I got a tax cut. But you're my boss. You're my employer. And you know that not only do I need $60,000 a year to live, you know, at whatever standard of living I've defined, or I've decided that I want to, you know, I need to live by $60,000 a year. But you also know that I don't need $80,000 a year, right? I only need $60,000 a year to live. So as my employee, and, and, and you also know that anybody else who's willing to take my job, whatever it is I'm doing, in all probability, being from the same community and having the same skill set, are willing to do that job for $60,000 a year after taxes. So what do you do? You come to me and you say, you know, you're making $20,000 a year more now than you were last year because you got a tax cut. So I'm going to drop your wages by $20,000 a year. If you want to continue working for $80,000 a year, which nets out to 60 after taxes, that's great. Love to have you stay here. This is essentially what General Motors said to their employees, remember? If you don't want to stay here, I can easily hire somebody, you, you, will, you will tell me that you can easily hire somebody for $80,000 a year who will take home $60,000 and do the same job. Now, I would be crazy to say, no, I'm going to walk away from a job that now pays, essentially, take-home pay is identical to what it was before. I'm still taking home sixty grand a year. Now, let's say the taxes go up. Let's, let's play this thought experiment. We just played it, taxes going down. And what you can see is when taxes go down, rich people get richer and working people get a pay cut. 
following this? When Reagan cut taxes on working people, those tax cuts were right across the board. When Reagan cut taxes, wages went down. Or they flattened and they've continued to go down over time, you know, particularly when you consider inflation. But rich people got much richer. So what happens when taxes go up? Bill Clinton raised taxes about three, three and a half percent, as I recall. Barack Obama raised taxes around two percent. What happened after those tax increases? Wages for working people went up. Now, why would that happen? Okay, back to your example. You're the, you're the rich guy employer, and you're making a million dollars a year, and, and your tax just went from 40% to 50%. So instead of taking home $600,000 a year, you're only taking home $500,000 a year. But you're living on a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. All the rest of it's disposable income, or you stick it in your Swiss bank account. So it doesn't matter to you. It's just less in savings. Taxes go up on me, the working guy, and my $100,000 salary, which is $60,000 take home, say the taxes went up 10%, now I'm taking home $50,000 a year. Now, you as my employer know I can't live on $50,000 a year. I'm gonna start looking for another job because I've gotta have 60,000 take home pay. So what do you do? You come to me and you say, you know, I'm gonna give you a $10,000 raise. So that you're still making $60,000 a year after taxes. So on, for, Rich people, when taxes go up, they simply have less money. For working people, when taxes go up, wages go up. And history proves this. Look at the tax increases of the 19-teens for, for fighting World War I. We were at a 91% tax level in, in 1920 when Warren Harding came in on the campaign promise of dropping the top tax rate to 25%. He did so. What happened? Poverty actually increased among working people in the Roaring Twenties. Wages went down. We'll be right back. Welcome back. John Hartman here with you. And John in Brooklyn, New York. Hey, John, what's on your mind today? Good afternoon, um, Mr. Hartman, and uh, happy holidays. Thank I you. I can hardly hear you. I'm sorry. It's very low the volume. Oh, I, I, I was listening to what you were talking about, Mary... And uh, I forgot the, the man's name and how she made 20000 and he made 40000 And it's funny. I had something like that happen with me. And Mary's got an issue where Mary's living in a neighborhood she just can't afford. Mary needs to find a neighborhood that she can afford. So Mary can have more disposable income. It's not the gentleman's fault that he makes $40,000 a year. I'm not saying it and is. He's not what I'm saying is, what that. you know, John, you're completely missing it. You're... You're thinking that I'm criticizing John for making 21 times more in disposable income than no, Mary. No, 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 no. There's a I'm lot not, of decisions both of them can make. Anybody. My point was... What I'm saying is, when my, when my family came to this country, they didn't have any jobs. They lived in Manhattan on Mulberry Street. You know, that was kind of like what they call the Italian ghetto. And my family worked their way out of it by getting better jobs with a better education. Mary doesn't belong in the neighborhood she's living in if she can't afford to pay for it. No, she can't. The problem with most people in this country is we give away so much, Mary doesn't have to go live in the neighborhood. I, I don't believe this. John, John, you are Mary completely missing my point. You are completely, and talking over me, you're completely missing the point. And the point was that we need to change the way we understand money. Money is energy. 
Money isn't just like, you know, something the treasury makes. Every country, every civilization, every culture, since the advent of agriculture, and even many hunting gathering societies, but not so much there. I mean, wampum typically was to tell stories and to record information more than for transactions. But ever since we started locking up food, which became the first form of money, money has represented life energy. Money represents the, the, literally the energy of our lives. And we need to think about it in, in, in that context. And, and, and uh, Conrad Shaw's point was that whatever your cost of living is, and whether it exceeds your neighborhood or not, is irrelevant. Those are choices that you can make, where you want to live, what you want to do. And I get it that you think that our welfare programs are too generous. I respectfully say, screw you. Um, our, welfare, our welfare programs are nowhere near solid enough to catch people who are falling through the social safety net. And people are falling through literally every day. We just had, here in the United States for three weeks, the UN's uh, expert, the special raconteur on poverty. And what he found was that in large chunks of the United States, severe poverty, severe poverty associated with poor health, toothlessness, you know, uh, hunger, um, literally malnutrition is here in the United States, the richest country on earth. So my point was that we need to change how we think about money. It was just, that was just it. Jesse in Miami. Hey, Jesse, what's up? Hey, hi, Tom. Happy holidays. Thanks. Happy New Year, Jesse. It's coming up anyway. Yep. Hey, uh, I hope it's a lot better than this past year. I think we could do it. Uh, You really really key on talking about the way money is looked at and the need to be changed. The topic I want to talk to you about was, uh, you know, you you made the book The Crash of 16. Mm-hmm. I say you was right. I put it like this. Trump coup was to prevent the crash. So I'm trying to say that when you talk about tax, the system now is so desperate that the elites need to take direct control of the government so they could consume the taxes because the private sector is bankrupt. It has no credibility. So when you say the taxes, money need to be looked at as different. I would put it this way. You can't separate politics and economics because that's that's our problem. Doing that, they could get away with saying, well, you're free. Yeah. You, you, got, you could vote for whoever you want. Well, in the extension. But economically, that's different. You, you, you know, it's like it's, it's separated. If the government could earn its own money, they wouldn't have to tax. Well, in, so, in theory, I mean, it would debase the currency if, if the government simply issued money and used that to pay for things. No, they would make be in the market like the private sector. But the private sector have been Jim Crowing it from day one. The government is only allowed tolls, fees, and taxes. It can't get out there and build a bridge for itself. Well, it, it, it can. It's the, the, the itself is us. I mean, government is us. That's the thing that most conservatives yeah. miss, is the first three words of both the, the uh, Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. We the people. It's, it's yep. us. You know, we the people create governments, uh, you know, among men and, and women. We create wealth, though. Yeah. yeah. We only allow the tax 
and and no, uh, you know, fees, yeah. and tolls. That's it. Yeah, that's yeah. wrong. Well, I I don't think it's wrong. I think it's I I think that there should be a separation between what is public space and what is private space. My my concern, Jesse, is kind of the opposite. Is that it's that we have privatized so much of government functions, um, including the military now, that that there's. Uh, you know, th th that rather than things being done on behalf of we the people, we have things being done on behalf of corporate profits. And well, it is, it, yeah, and it's, it's skewing how these corporations, these contractors behave and, yeah. and, you know, and what they're doing. So, you know, yeah, good point. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that a little later on the program. But, Jesse, thank you. Uh, Alex in Utica, New York. Hey, Alex, what's on your mind today? Hi. Hey. Hi, I, um... I thought that if you plant trees and nitrogen fixtures, fish ponds, and food forests that hold underground seas of water and perennial, perennial vegetables and wood chips would give them fertility and wood chips prevent fires in California, it would be better for them. So you're, you're advocating permaculture, basically. Yeah, but, um, but if, if you don't... If you, you take your tax your uh, tax deduction, you could reinvest in the land that that you own around you. Right. And uh, it is you know one of the more effective ways to sequester carbon is the way that nature has done it for four billion years on this planet, or arguably maybe two billion years on this planet, and and that's through photosynthesis, it's through growing things, it's uh, you know it's it's sequestering it in the soil. Uh, ultimately, and uh, yeah, I, I, I don't disagree. I think it's a, it's a great point, Alex. Thank you for calling and making it. Tony in Tiger, Georgia. Hey, Tony, what's on your mind today? How you doing, Tom? Good. What's up? I was just checking your math out here uh, on the hundred thousand dollars. Gentleman making a hundred thousand dollars, and he gets a tax break. Right. So now he's making eighty thousand dollars. Well, take home pay. Yeah, take home pay. Well, that's the government. That has nothing to do with the employer. The employer's still paying him the hundred thousand dollars. I know. I mean, you know, now you're getting the government into everything. And you're absolutely right about we the people. And we the people have voted in a new president that wanted to give us a tax cut. All right. And it's going to lead to a drop in wages. You know, that was another thing you explained. that You see, I own a business, and that's why I picked up the phone to call you. Because what you're saying, you've obviously never owned a business, have you, Tom? Have you ever owned a business before, Tom? <laughs> Tony, you own one now. If it is, it's probably failing. Tony, uh, I, I, have you owned a business? Yes, I have, and I do own a business right now. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, I've I've, I've owned I, Tony in in my lifetime. I've owned seven businesses that have generated over a quarter billion dollars in revenue. I've had uh -huh. several hundred employees in my, in in the forty plus years I've been in business. I understand what, business. What's the government that you work? Tony, uh, I never worked Are your for a government. Contracts with the government. I, I never had go well. I, the, the, I yes, I did. Uh -huh. I did. That's what I thought. I did one week. <laughs> I did one week of work for the NSA, and I've done trainings for the CIA and for the and for several branches of the military. But that you know, none of that has anything to do with this, Tony. The point and and you know, I, I get your whole you know, <laughs> let's let's kill the messenger thing. You know, it's a great Fox News attempt. Uh, you learned well from right wing radio, but you're you're full of BS. You're you're completely wrong. I do know what I'm talking about. First of all. And, uh -huh. and don't have to justify that to you or anybody else, but number one. But number two, it's, you're missing my point. Taxes, we have to have taxes to fund our government. Do you, do you disagree with that, Tony? 
I do not disagree with that. Okay, fine. So if we have to have taxes to fund our government, taxes have a secondary purpose as well, and that is to, ch to change behavior. There's a reason, for example, why we give people a tax deduction on mortgage interest, because we want them to buy houses rather than rent. We thought we made the decision back in the 30s that it would be a good thing if people owned their homes, have equity in, in your life. That would be a good thing. So we changed our tax code to encourage that. We encourage business behavior with our tax code. And one of the things that business one of the ways that business behavior changes as a function of tax codes, of the tax code, is that as as working people, as the employees of businesses, see their taxes go down, their take-home pay goes up, and their employers—and their employers—you know—I would I would submit Tony that if that you're a fairly crummy. Well, not now. I'm doing the Fox News thing. I'm going to stop right there. There, as as their employees' wages go up as a result of tax cuts, there is no no zero reason left for an employer to give people tax, pay weight, pay weight, wage increases, pay raises in a, in, a, in a labor market. The labor market is a function of what people are willing to work for. It's real simple. And what people are willing to work for is not before tax income. It's after tax income. That's the only thing that matters. It's just like my example with John and Mary. It's after the, after the necessities are taken care of. What's left over is what matters. We'll be right You're back. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. I, it, it, it's astonishing to me that people who listen to a lot of right-wing radio don't understand basic economics. You're listening to Rush Limbaugh. He's making $400 million a year. For more of this rant and to hear the entire show, you can subscribe to our podcasts at TomHartman.com.